Welcome to the Alex Kapranos podcast with me, Alex Kapranos. Over the past few episodes, you will have heard me in conversation with Johnny Marr, Martin Creed, Los Bichos, and many more. If you've missed some of these interviews, or maybe even just fancy listening to them again, make sure to download them now. The last interview I conducted in this series was with Stuart Braithwaite from Mogwai, and here he is. Stuart Braithwaite, welcome to the studio. <laughs> thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Alex. Oh, it's amazing. And thank you very much as well for uh, sending me your book, Spaceships Over Glasgow. You're very welcome. Yeah, it was an amazing read. Uh, I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. It's funny because... Uh, we were talking about it a wee while ago and I was saying like how kind of nervous you can be you know when your friend sends you something yes because it's like you know when you've got a friend who's a musician or, or, or decided they're going to become a musician say can I send you my demo and your your heart sinks a little bit <laughs> because because you uh, you're kind of you want it to be great yeah. but you're kind of worried that what if they didn't make it great well, how am I going to tell them well, there's that. But I mean, on the other side, I was very relieved when you said you liked it. I loved it. It was, it was, a, yeah, it, it was such a relief reading. Like I got like a few pages into it. It was like, oh, phew. Oh my God. He, he can write really well and the stories are brilliant. So uh, yeah, thank yeah. you for the relief. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was really nervous actually. I was, I was nervous because I hadn't sent it to, I'd sent it to some people who just gave me some feedback about like, oh, that ending's a bit weird, or, or, or like really booky type right, things. Yes, but I right, was like, right. well, Alex kind of a knows a lot of the people in this, yeah. and is a very you're a very honest person. I, I don't think you would. I, I th- you're not so honest. You'd be like, oh my god, I, sure, I wouldn't just be cancel mean, the whole but thing. Like, like, yeah, but yeah no, I wouldn't I, be able I, to but, tell. But I think that's kind of. <laughs> I, I think that's the scene that we come from generally. Like the sort of like Glasgow scene is pretty straightforward, isn't it? There's yeah, not a lot of BS no, going on. No, no, that's that's a that's a subtle way of putting it. it, it it's, <laughs> I'm trying to be subtle because I'm not allowed to swear on this radio yeah. station. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it is strange as well to read something where you do know so many of the characters. Yeah, uh, and and it's kind of bizarre. But what about you? It must be how how did it feel when? You can, how did it feel coming to terms with the idea of being a writer? Was that something that did you find it easy to like slip into that role or did you feel any kind of imposter syndrome or anything like that? Massive imposter syndrome. Right, right. And <clears throat> one of the reasons I decided to write, well, there was a few reasons, but one of the reasons I decided to write the book was that I'd been reading a lot of books by musicians and I kind of thought I could, I could do that. Yeah. But then it seemed to be the case that once I started, any time I would pick up another book by a musician i probably just unfortunately picked up a few that were incredibly well written and right right in one case ghost written yeah well one of them wasn't ghost written but i I know for a fact the person is an academic oh okay i I, I just started reading it and i was like oh my god i can't do that i can't i literally don't like to write a paragraph that finely constructed and with that amazing choice of language and that much reflection would take me a week and I just kind of, my kind of just went into kind of brain overload and went back to reading sci-fi books. <laughs> well, what I loved about the book is kind of, the, it's the opposite of that style yeah. of writing. Yeah. It sounds like 
in your head, it's like having a conversation with you. Like yeah. it, it's very much in your speaking voice, the yeah. way the way it is. And also, what what's good about it for me is uh, it tells you everything you'd want to know from the story of a musician that you yeah. want to find out about. Yeah, yeah. But it's not done in a particularly conventional way because mm-hmm. it talks. You start off talking about the music that really excited you. And yeah. this is something that you don't often hear about in uh, uh, so autobiographies of mm-hmm. musicians. So much of the early part of the book is you talking about going to gigs yeah, and the excitement that you felt mm-hmm. going to gigs and description in quite minute detail at times of events and it was it was so exciting for me like yeah. like to read that because it brought back so many me- in fact what i found weird was there were so many many memories of gigs that i was also at before yeah. i knew you as yeah, well yeah, yeah. And, and that, that's sure. kind of, um it, it, was that a deliberate decision to take that approach well actually and I, and I wasn't actually going to be completely honest about this but i may as well what the book was changed Ah, okay. Because originally it was going to almost, well, be about going to specific gigs and then playing specific gigs. Right. So it was all going to be gigs. Ah, and then okay. right, right. I kind of hit a point. I realised I can't remember them all in that much detail, especially right. weirdly ones I'd played. Right, yes. I kind of yes. started trying to yeah, write yeah, about yeah, it and yeah. I was like, I can't, you know, you know yeah. what it's like. No, you, you, exactly. get in, yeah, yeah. you get into a moment of focus and... You're not aware of your you're surroundings. You're not aware of your surroundings. No. You're really just in the moment of like... Yes. You almost get wrapped up in the moment and just trying to not make a mistake I was going to use another term that I'm not I'm not allowed to use you're so worried about effing up that you kind of even an hour later you couldn't describe what had happened yes so I, I kind of at, at that point when I realized that I was like okay the things the people that I've met and the things that happened around them are more interesting anyway because everyone's been to loads of gigs maybe yeah. maybe loads of people haven't most people haven't played gigs but um the gigs kind of became in the book a sort of a conduit for the rest of mm-hmm. of what happens in kind your of life like your, your device to talk about the yeah. things that were around about yeah. you and, yeah and actually was was okay. really interesting because things like that the, i talk about going to see the mary shane at the barrowlands but I'd completely forgotten that that was when I first met Adele, who was my first oh, girlfriend yes, and yes. spent 10 odd years kind of together with. So it kind of, it all joined together. And I knew we'd been to loads of gigs together because obviously she was my girlfriend when yeah. we were teenagers. And but, similar taste in music as well. Yeah. And yeah. loads of the music I got from her, like, like partners this is something as well that musicians often don't talk about or people don't talk about generally is like how influential partners can be on your life yeah, and yeah. your taste you yeah, know yeah, like, yeah. like so, so much of the music that's been really important to me in my life has been and introduced me to me by the people who are close to me and often that is partners and often when they have musical tastes which is outside your own like i remember you know helen that i used to yeah, go out yeah, with years ago like she introduced me to loads of things that i probably as a guy and his late teens and early 20s wouldn't have been drawn to things like Kate Bush and Dory Previn and and things like that I I probably wouldn't have looked at at the time but 
have been artists that stayed with me so yeah, yeah. long. Like yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, very there was oh yes, you you were talking just now um, about that feeling of not being able to remember uh, the actual gigs themselves, and I think that's a really good point because you were saying that most people haven't played gigs. And I think it's true that most people don't realize what's so good about playing a gig in a way, in the sense that it's you do become completely detached from everything yeah. that's happening in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it, 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 you become, it, it's, it's like you exist on a different plane yeah. for that period on which you are on the stage and you're just kind of like, conjoined with the audience yeah. your bandmates and it's like none of the rest of the universe exists yeah and to me that's one of the most glorious feelings in the world yeah do you, do you ever find that it, it becomes like a a physical thing sometimes as well because i know for me like i quite often get quite ill on tour you mm-hmm. know like you're always in coming into contact with new viruses or whatever local strains of flu and colds and things and you're generally run down so I, I often find I'm ill on tour but as soon as I go on stage I, I kind of lose all of my feelings of being ill mm-hmm. you know like like I, yeah. I, I don't have any of the symptoms and like literally as I walk on the stage I can feel like I'm trying to find another word for this death you know <laughs> <laughs> um but then, uh, and then walk off stage, I, I feel terrible. But do, do you find that as well? Or? I do, and in, in, in a similar way, but for a different reason. I don't, I don't drink until after we play now, but I used to drink, I used to probably drink four large glasses of wine through a gig, which is like right. more than a bottle of wine. Yes, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. Maybe I did start playing a little bit sloppily, but I, I would definitely, the second I came off stage, you would feel drunk. Oh, I'd be absolutely wasted. Right, and, yes. Yeah, and yeah, almost yeah. the kind of adrenaline and the concentration yes. had somehow forced me to not be as drunk right, as right, I right, actually right, was. Right. And wait, yeah, I actually only relatively recently stopped drinking during gigs. And then I was like, <laughs> oh my God, what the hell have I been doing? Do I, just, I did that thing where I didn't drink for a month. And then the first of the month, we were playing a gig and I used to have... A glass of wine watching the sport band and then just continually drink wine throughout the entire gig. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah. I'm not doing that after not drinking for a month. And then I was like, well, that was fine. I'll yeah. just stop doing that. It's funny, there, there is so much of that culture of drinking. I was going to say like like within the rock and roll world generally, but the, the scene that we came out of, but also in the West Coast of Scotland as well. So like, I mean, like everything is like pushing us into that. Because I, I was the same as well. Like I, I used to drink so much. Because like, of course, you're hanging about all day there's free booze lying everywhere. so And but, you're, you're kind of bored as well, so you just drink. But also, going very way back, we should probably explain that you used to be the booker at the 13th yes, row. And yeah, booked, that's how, booked, how we met each other. Yeah, 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 I booked the first few Mogwai gigs. But also, I was thinking about this, was you would get, for playing a gig at the 13th row, you, you would get, get paid in a, in crea- a creative star of Pramen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So so people would just make bands up so they could drink for free. <laughs> so they could drink for free. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And also, I'm, I'm sure Craig Tannock, who, who ran the place, wouldn't mind us saying now, but they were a little bit relaxed about kind of like age restrictions as well. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I, I know a lot of bands, like a lot of our friends and bands were coming in. They were kind of like, think of the guys from Esker. Like when they first came down the 13th, yeah. thought they were all like 16 and stuff. John, like, even John, when he started ah, yes. Mogwai, he must have been 16. Or 17. Yes, that's right. And even the band, I did this through the research. The band 
whose name I can't remember, it's in the book, but but the band that played before us in Trout at that first gig. Oh, yes. They were yeah, kids. Yeah. Oh, yes, they probably were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's funny that that scene that they were talking. It, it was a very young scene at that mm. time, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, it's because you hated old people. I I I, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of did, you know. Yeah. Like, like, um, it's not so much that I hated them. Like I felt that they had their universe and didn't want us as part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was no... It was a very established Glasgow music scene. There was. It was very, very so. And you must have known this at the time as well, when you were getting bands together. I certainly found it, because we, we were, like, getting bands together at the same sort of time. I remember, like, the first band I got together was with Tom, who you know, and Glenn that you know, and uh, trying to get gigs. Nobody was interested. Like yeah. So, like, well, if you play covers, you can get a gig. And so, like, do you sound like Deacon Blue? No. Like, like well... We're not going to give you a gig. Why should we give you a gig? And there was nowhere that would literally nowhere that could mm. give us a gig. And uh, I ended up doing this thing in the thirteenth note. It was actually it wasn't me that started that club though. You know, it was a guy called Jim who had a band called the Hemingways, right? Who started the club, um, and uh, he gave up very quickly after two weeks or so. Nobody was coming down. It was like my band, the Blisters, came down and nobody else. And he was like, oh, man, what a failure, what a failure. But for us, it was like, man, we get to play music and nobody tells us to stop, you know, yeah, and like yeah. we get to use these yeah. these amplifiers and things. But yes, it, it, it was a, a very young scene and very exciting at the yeah, time yeah. as well. Yeah, it was exciting. Look, look, looking back, that seems to be something that happens very often with musical like very creative periods of of music all over the world that someone will just do something because no one else will let them do it it's almost like refusing to have permission yes you know what I mean? yes and, exactly so 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 you decide to do it off your own back yeah also that that scene came about very organically because when jim gave up that club he said do you want to run it and i was like you know i okay it's like and at the beginning Never really listened to demo tapes or anything like that. It was all word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd sort of say Hubby, like, can like, because so Hubby and uh, R.M. Hubbard, as a lot of people know him, uh, another great musician from Glasgow, he sh- he was in a band that shared Tom the drummer. And so I remember saying to Hubby, like, can I come down and play? And then I was like, you, and he was like, oh, I've got a pal that I know from the skating. He's got another band. Can they come down? And then meeting Stevie Jones and those yeah, kind of yeah. guys, like through Taramaro, who also played, and Stevie knew somebody. And then there was always somebody who knew somebody else as well. And it became very much a kind of more of a word of mouth thing. And yeah. that became, and I think that's how those scenes develop, isn't it? It's yeah. like, it's the people that just enjoy hanging out with each other. And it yeah. was a very social scene at that time and, yeah. and, and very easy uh, um, you mentioned Trout just there yeah for me the bands of that scene there were bands that kind of came out that went on to do things like yourselves and like so many great bands like, like Biss as well and Yurisai Yatsura and the Yummy Fur that became kind of like names in their own right but there were some bands that, that were part of that scene that didn't really make it outside that scene, yeah. but at the time they were kind of like the great figures in that scene. Yeah, it's kind of it's, it's kind of astonishing to me that there isn't a trout album. I know, I know. It's 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 kind of a tragedy in a way. They it were, is. They were, it it's, is. To me, it's a tragedy that the world didn't get to experience them the way that, that we did. Yeah. Should, should we explain to people? Here we are talking about this band that, that, that yeah I, I, most I, the listeners won't know. How no. would you describe trout? I mean, I kind of have a go at it in the book. I mean, they were, they were, they didn't 
have any very direct musical inf- I mean, I know the music they liked because we were all pals, but yeah. they had just learned to play the the instruments to be yes. in a band, hadn't they? They weren't yes. like, oh, we're musicians. We oh, yeah. Have a band. I mean, most of the bands at that time were, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But they were good players, weren't they? Very, yeah. very idiosyncratic. I mean, the, very the, instinctive the, players. Yeah, though, you know. like William the singer, he kind of he wore kind of panda makeup, so he kind of looked looked like he had <laughs> a, he was a superhero. Well, that was it because like he always thought, you know like how superheroes wear like eye masks. He, <laughs> he always thought it, he thought it was makeup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he he had pretty wild hair, kind of like a bit like Emo Phillips. If anybody, a bit like Emo it. Phillips yeah. or like if Joey Ramone had yes. Stop getting slightly a higher fringe. He <laughs> yeah. gets a really, really funny, but not like ha ha funny. Just genuinely funny person. And yes, did songs like "Living in an Oven" and uh, "Skunk Rap," "Skunk Rap," "Owl in a Tree," uh, "Save the Animals." Yeah, "Save the Animals" was a really good one. Yeah, they were always kind of like slightly abstract, a bit absurdist, but. Very immediate, uh, with great kind of wee observations that uh, that that kind of struck you straight away, yeah. like like a good pop song should do, uh-huh. but without being like a conventional pop song. Yeah. You know, but they, some of the songs were kind of like "Owl in the Trees," pretty pop. It is, yeah, it's quite yeah, pop. yeah. And there's, they do have some recordings people should check out. In fact, were you involved in that compilation album? I know you're yes, on it. Pool life. Aye, oh, a terrible name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I actually yeah, yeah. thought about how yeah. offensive that is. <laughs> 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 on so many it levels. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's you, what happens when the label chooses the the new <laughs> album. Also, I don't even think like probably people from various socio-economic yeah. backgrounds yeah. on that record. It's yes. kind of just a weird yeah. total stereotyping of Glasgow. Generally. I think it was. Was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awful. The, the, the up north. <laughs> but yeah, it was. There was a compilation that came out in Cherry Red, who were actually really good and very. But there was a guy called Doug who was working at Cherry Red. Uh-huh. He he was like uh, a big fan of Glasgow and mm-hmm. found the scene very exciting. Came up and got together that record. And, Who's on and that? The Blisters, your band. Uh, Pink Cross were on it. Uh-huh. Uh, Trout were on it. Uh, Lugworm on it? Maybe? Lugworm, yes, that yeah. was the other band. Uh, I think Doug had come up like a few times to Glasgow and had seen a few bands and just kind of like, and had just seen a snippet of the scene at that time. Yeah. Oh, let's get these bands on it. Yeah, that's cool. And you don't get that much anymore, do you? Like compilation albums with like a handful of songs by a, a bunch four of or five bands. No, band. you don't, do you? Like, like it's, you don't get albums that much generally. Like Or split singles. I was actually yeah. thinking about it. Split singles are very much a thing of their time. Yes. Which aye, would happen aye. quite a lot. How many split singles did you you do at the beginning? Uh, we were on, oh, we were on a tour one with Eurasai at Sura and Backwater because we did a Eurasai one as well. Yeah, they yeah. were the kings of the split single. Yes, and um, we did one via Shea Records with a band who I wasn't a great fan of called Dweeb, who were just oh, like yes. a London bass. Yes, right. Okay, um, yeah. But around about that time, Shea did Dweeb, a lot, yeah. a lot of good ones. They did one with like. Ligament and Delgados and yeah they were right yeah she were a pretty cool label at that time weren't they they were yeah they were, they were yeah of, they were they were certainly adventurous like, yeah they, they were putting out a lot of good a lot a lot of good music um I think I mentioned that they did they, try and sign us with the with the offer of a loan of a bass which uh, <laughs> which which I mean I, I, I'm I'm not exactly I'm not exactly demanding brown M and M's but. Yeah, that, that's amazing. It would be amazing not, not, even, not even buying you a bass yeah, guitar, yeah. lending you a bass. Yeah, because at, at that point, Dominic was playing his brother's bass. 
And uh, borrowing someone else's bass didn't really feel like the great rock and roll future we hoped for. We didn't have very, we didn't have very high hopes, but that fell below them. It's funny, like when I was reading the book, uh, I found there was some very funny moments in it. And, and going going back to the uh, the early gigs that you were talking about, uh, one of the gigs you go into a lot of detail about is going to see the Cure. Uh-huh. Was it the Barrowlands? No, 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 the SEC. Oh, was it the SEC? The right, okay, yes. And was that the first gig that you went to? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you talk about the build-up and the excitement and how you and your pals arranged to get a minibus together. But what the funniest was, how old were you at that time? 13. 13. That's yeah, pretty young. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. To, also, to be organising that and getting it all together with all your pals and stuff. Uh, the pal who organised it was a wee bit older. Right, okay. To be fair, right. Right. probably only 15. Right, that's, that's kind yeah, of amazing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 bit that got me like crying with laughter was you talking about your pal. I think it what was his name? Oh, I, I wrote it down. Uh, your, your pal who like mis- misinterpreted the lyrics of of Lullaby uh, by the Cure and went to the gig <laughs> as Spider Man. Mog, but yeah, yeah. We, Mog, yeah, yeah wearing Alan a Spider Man yeah, mask. Yeah. I, 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 I totally love that. That's, yeah, yeah. Well, that, he was just wearing a Spider Man mask. Yes, it's actually kind of funny. But Mog's Mog's a great guy, and I still see him around. And he, Lee Braxton, who published the book, was Mog had tweeted a about something uh-huh. he'd done a new podcast Mog was like love the podcast can't wait for the next one and I like reply tweeted with like that's Mog that oh, no way. Cra- right. craps in the car sunroof in uh, <laughs> chapter 4 <laughs> yeah he does yeah he was he, he he was great it was great someone like Mog who's had quite a hedonistic life but has a great memory oh, right, some okay. of these people and like that I, blows my mind like how you can do that yeah yeah like so I, I would like he was one of the first people I spoke I, I, you may have been the first person I spoke to about the book because the first chapter I wrote was about that first Mogwai book so even though it, Mogwai gig sorry right, yes. which is about a third way through so it kind of did that and then filled in the rest but when, when I phoned Mog and he had all these great details oh, like that's... things that I just could vaguely remember because there's a story in the in the me and my sister went to Reading when I was which I was at as well. Oh, Reading ninety one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, like seeing like it's it's like it's it's like seeing the same scene of your memory, mm-hmm. but from a different camera angle yeah, yeah. or something like that. Because we wouldn't have met each other for a few no, years. No, no, that, that, that. that was like maybe three years before we uh-huh. met. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Mog, who was there but didn't travel with us, and then he remembered. He was like, "Oh yeah, I remember you told us there was these racists that were going to throw bananas at Della Soul, and ah. I, 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 I did a." dump in their car sunroof and that's, I was like that's an amazing story I was yes. like I've, I can't have seen this happen because I probably would need trauma therapy for it but <laughs> I did know that it happened and it's just such a brilliant story like yeah yeah and yeah he's he, he's also first person that gave me LSD so he's, he's got a kind of up and oh, down right uh, right right yeah, that's yeah. There is quite a, a big LSD presence within the book. Yeah, yeah it was, was quite. It was pretty cheap back then. <laughs> it's, you know, when, you, you mentioned that in the book. What, what, how much was it for a tab back? A fiver. In a fiver, exactly. <laughs> it was a cheap weekend. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, like, like yeah, yeah. It, it, that's what I remember from that time. Like, was you know, like, like with, with a, a certain circle of, of 
well, I was going to say, I was going to say a certain circle within the people we know, <laughs> but really just the people we knew. Like that, that, that was how you spent the weekend. It yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. like a, because, you know, we didn't have a lot of capital Money, at our fingertips. No. And uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was certainly a, um, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't go down there. Although there are, there are some amazing descriptions of uh, some scenes. Like uh, there's a later LSD experience you talk about in the book. This is many years after those early and naive innocent times where you're in Australia yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're talking about a bad time on yeah, LSD. I lost the plot. And uh, <laughs> you, you, uh, you say, oh yes, um, it, it's the inspiration for a song title. Can you tell us that? Yeah, so, so basically, it could sound like we're, I'm in the Happy Mondays or something here, but we got to Australia and someone said they had these these E's and we all took them. We were all going to get like a bit wasted and go to the pub with the people who wrote Neighbours, which was really exciting because we were super <laughs> into Neighbours. Like, this is the 90s. Well, this is, oh no, this is still the 90s, I think. And uh, it became evident this wasn't E and it just started freaking out and I was convinced that the people I was with were going to jump out of a building. Oh, man. And man. I just had this in my head and obviously they weren't. They were having a brilliant time. It was just me that was freaking out. And, um, yeah, I, I, I go away... And I get in a taxi and ask him to take me somewhere nice, which is something that ended up being um, a Mogwai song. In fact, I almost called the book that. But um, oh, to, nice, to, yeah. to, to calm myself down, I turned the TV on and The Matrix was on, which I, I really liked the film and I knew it really well. So I was like, all right, I'll just get myself together watching The Matrix and that'll be fine, even though it's a weird film. I, I know what it's, it's about. It's familiar. It's yes. familiar. I know what it's about. And I put the TV on and... A helicopter crashes into a building on the TV and I just look out of the window and it's the same building. So I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I've really lost it. I, the Matrix is real. Yes. This is like... Reality I, in the Matrix have melded in the Matrix into one. Of, yeah, I've completely lost it. And then I just went to bed and put covers over my head just waiting to be devoured by the aliens that were kind of controlling a reality or whatever. And then obviously when I got myself together the next day I realised that they just filmed the, the film in Sydney where, where I was and that building was that the building that building was the building the, the, the yeah, yeah. Was, <laughs> the, the, the chances of that yeah, are pretty yeah. low aren't they yeah it's, it's funny because you, you t- what you talk about when you talk about these scenes uh, you make a very good observation which is if you take those kind of like psychedelic drugs later in life you have a lot more baggage with yeah, you yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. more life experience yeah. which kind of uh, which kind of like impinges into that experience, yeah. and uh, yeah, uh, I I remember for me, my last time on on LSD was a similar thing, a bit older, and uh, I think I was walking back through Partick after like it had been a really really good night, but there'd been some massive fight in the middle of Partick, yeah, and there were all these bins on fire and smashed windows and like blood <laughs> everywhere, and it just sent everything in a bad direction. So I got back to my girlfriend's flat and uh, decided to watch kids TV, similar to you with the Matrix. I'll I'll, I'll kind of come down. And uh, it was the Muppet Babies. (laughs) And this episode of the Muppet Babies was baby Gonzo deciding to explain to the other Muppet Babies why he was such an eccentric character by taking him on a journey through the different caverns of his mind wow <laughs> and it just sent me into like even more of a spiral and yeah that that, that, that was the last one for me. but it's funny like talking about the difference between 
the naivety and the eagerness and the openness of youth and later on. Because I think th- that's beautiful when you talk about those early gigs because you have that experience at that yeah, time. Yeah. And do you think you can ever experience a gig as an older guy in the same way that you would at that age when it's there for the first time? I think you can musically, but I think there's so much more to gigs than just the band mm-hmm. on the stage playing the music. Yeah, and and there's also the discovery of music. Like I, I like, I don't need to write about it too much, but I remember seeing the the Cramps for the first time, and I just couldn't believe what was on stage. It was yes. just so, and I, I couldn't even imagine that they were normal people. Well, they probably weren't really normal people, but <laughs> I couldn't believe they were even people that would go to the shops. Yes, or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah it yeah, was yeah. like it was like supernatural beings on stage, and and I think maybe as you get older and you especially in our world where we're around people playing gigs all the time now and we know a lot of other musicians you that sense of wonder you'll never get back but i i i I, think completely yeah but think about there are moments in the book where you do talk about experiences as a as an older musician yeah with a lot more experience that do seem to have that same sense of wonder. Yeah, there's, 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 there's there's one moment that's, that's just popped into my mind, which is when you're talking about the first um, ATP, the yeah. one which which you guys curated, yeah. uh, and you talk about uh, bringing Sonic Youth into play yeah, and yeah. watching Sonic Youth from the side of the stage. Yeah, yeah. That must have been a similar experience. That's true. That is true. But they, I, I, to be honest, I, w- I was still in all of them. I mean, I probably still yes. am. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah I, like, I probably still am. I, I, I guess what I mean is when, when I was a young teenager watching it, it was almost a magical event. Right. It was almost yes, a magical yes. event. And and also the the social experience of it, everything yes, yes, every, yes. everything about it was new and cool and exciting. And it still is. I mean, I still yeah, yeah, get yeah. that when I go to the oh, Barlands. Yes, when I go to the Barlands, yeah. it's like... It's a very special venue, yeah, isn't I'm, it? I'm, I'm not a religious person, but it's... It's how I probably imagine a truly religious yes, yeah, person yeah, yeah. would be yeah. going into Sacre Coeur or something like that. Yes, like yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. just a building; it's something that embodies everything. Everything. Yes. So this, I, this is my reason for being. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I kind of, I still get that. But there's something about when you're when you're a kid yes, and something's yeah, yeah. new. I mean, music is our life. But I mean, it, probably the same with the first time I walked went to a football game or something. You're just right. Like, yes. Yeah. What yeah. is this? And yes, there's yes. there's something kind of majestic about the scale of it all that kind of stuff so okay i'm, I'm glad you got that from it because yeah yeah I no did, no I no there, there were definitely a few moments and and later on as well it, like and i guess as musicians we kind of like have to search for other experiences and ways of doing what we do in different ways mm-hmm. in order to keep that sense of yeah. wonderment about yeah, yeah. about what we do because also maybe working with different people as well because i in the book, you talk about working with various different people at different times, and you've had some. I mean, you worked with Dave Paho as well. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That must have been incredible bringing him into the band. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's and he's he's an amazing musician, but he, he's I think still almost always in that wonderment right phase. Okay, and yes. he's and he's very grounding to be around because he's still a super music fan, you know, yeah, right, and like yes, really yes, like yes. yeah. He should write a book. He'd write a absolutely. Oh my god! I mean, he's got some incredible experiences, like mm-hmm. as a musician and through life as yeah, well. Yeah, of course, yeah. like, like I, I've only met him a couple of times, but he always just you know one of those sort of people that seems immediately extremely 
open and honest just just about everything and kind of like a a positive presence to be around is that fair to say yeah i know that's absolutely fair to say there's a funny thing with david actually which i don't know if you know this but he when he was after slint broke up he went to norwich to to study art and when he was in norwich he came up to glasgow to go to see the fall at the Barlands, oh. and he went to a party in Uddingston, <laughs> Uddingston with, with Depp and John McEwen. No, oh no, I think I did. Hear and then about at like that. three in the morning, they were like, "So what, they asked him like, what's your story?'" He was like, "Oh, I'm a musician. I used to play in this band called Slint." And they all were like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and like, we, we the Yummy Fur did a gig that I was kind of involved, well, I asked them to play up at the Mary Hill Community Centre and, oh, da- yes, and David yeah. played. Right, and it was the first okay. time they'd seen each other for like no way. 27 What's, years. Since that fall gig? S- since that party in Uddingston. No way, that's cr- And they'd all been at the fall gig and gone back to that yeah, party. Yeah, and there was another weird weird connection. Like David had been a really big Lungleg fan. Right, okay. And he wrote them a letter... <sighs> He wrote them a letter to see how much he loved the band. Longleg is a, a, a another band from our music Generation, scene in the nineties, yeah, yeah. and he'd written them this letter about how wonderful he thought they were, but he'd forgotten to send it to them, and he'd put it in the in the record, and then he'd sold all his records at some point, and no someone way. had found it. No way, that's insane. And because of that, he kind of connected with them. This is only that's, like a year or so. That's later. incredible. Which 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 is great to. Uh, uh, I love, and people a good bit younger than us probably can't even comprehend this, but we we started in a completely analog time. Yes, you where, could, where connection between musicians it was, was letters. Yes, it, it was completely manual. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and you couldn't hear music unless you heard it on the radio or bought it. Yes, yeah, which yeah. must just bend the minds of young people now, where you can hear. Yes obscure private press records on youtube yes i mean there I just was nothing of that it, it's it's amazing like how mind-blowing getting getting email was in the first place yeah we sound like such old it's true though. people yeah, but yeah <laughs> no no i, I remember because like going back to the yummy fur i remember the first person i ever wrote to on email that was outside i was at the time i was doing a postgrad uh outside that kind of environment was carrie brownstein from uh, Slater Kinney. It was Carrie whose book freaked me out because it was too good. By oh, right. Way. Okay. Yes. I, well, she's amazing. Like, yeah, like, yeah, unbelievable. yeah. But she uh, was the only person I'd, I'd ever met who had an email address. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it, 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 it was complete. Also, booking tours was completely manual as yeah. well. You know, like yeah. you turn it, you, you had like a phone number, a fax, and an address. And like you would use an A to Z of London to find the place yeah. and then just turn up and hope that it was there. Well, yeah, sometimes there would be no gig. Yes, yeah, yeah. We went on, we, I remember I was doing a tour and it was like six dates and only four of them happened. Oh, no. Yeah, like so you turn up and they're like, oh, I have no idea. Or like, well, that person's <laughs> not here anymore. It's just the the pitfalls of, of things being so sketchy. Yes, that's like, did you ever hear about that glue tour that Hubby was on? So they went on a tour of Poland and... Uh, uh, they got to Warsaw, and then when they got to Warsaw, they discovered that all the rest of the Polish gigs had been cancelled. And they had another gig in Warsaw a week later, and they basically had to live in a car park in the van for a week. Or all they had to eat was a big bag of oranges. 
and then so they lived on oranges for a week in a car park in Warsaw because they, they had to wait for the next gig to get enough money to buy the petrol to drive back home again. So that, I mean, that's... that is a wild story, but it's also not that abnormal. That no, kind of no, thing no, would no. happen. And, and also looking back in reflection, because obviously we're both quite lucky. Our bands have done really quite well. And yeah, I, we can't complain. I. We didn't think that was going to happen. No, 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 not at all. No, I, but I presumed it wouldn't happen because it didn't happen to people like us. You no. know, like, so it, it, and it almost, it's the kind of thing people say in interviews and I just don't believe them. But I swear on my mother's life, that is true. Yes. We, yeah, yeah. This was just something we were doing. Yes, yes, yes. It, it, yeah, it was... You just so why were we doing it? Why 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 did, why, why did we make music about that time? Like, can you Heard explain it? Was it? Really nice oranges in Poland. <laughs> I, I but, know it was but just what, what we made doing. you want to get on the stage in the first place. I just liked it. It's like that religious thing, isn't it? It's your everything. Yeah, I just lo- I just loved playing guitar, and I loved hanging out with my pals and getting drunk. Yes, and this was. Uh, the social side of it was yeah. a massive part, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and, and it's a funny one too, because I think I mentioned in the book, when we eventually got to make an album, we'd never even thought about it. Right, yeah. Because we'd yeah, been yeah, in yeah. this seven-inch scene. Yes, Wouldn't yes. it? Only a handful of our friends. I think Eurasai had made an album. Right, aye. Maybe the Blisters, you made an album, didn't you? Not by that point, no, 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 no. no, no, no so it was no. your band afterwards. The, that came out, so the Corellia came afterwards. Yeah. Blisters hadn't made an so, album. Like, no, yeah. and I were the only band yeah. I think we actually knew who had made an album. Yeah. So the Yummy Fur had sort of done albums, like they'd maybe done like yeah, Male, yeah, they Male did Shadow, it. like the 10-inch one. Oh, no, 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 they had made an album, but they made it in Philippa's Oh, flat. that's right, yes. Million, million pound studios. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty lo-fi, wasn't yeah, it? it was, so, so nobody had made an album in that sense of going into a into studio, a studio yeah. and like with a producer as well. Yeah, yeah. So this the, and 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 actually, I, I mentioned how great it was that Brendan was in the band at that yes. point because he'd made Aye. loads of albums. He was he was like maybe we, you should explain who Brendan is. Okay, here, so like. Brendan Brendan O'Hare is a, a, a drummer who'd played in Teenage Fan Club and also a band called Tales Are Ponies. He'd left both bands acrimoniously <laughs> and had a new band that came on tour with Mogwai and we just got on so well with yeah. him we just on the spot asked him to join the band yes. about a month before we made our album so he was in Mogwai for about 10 weeks is, is that all he was in there the was band hardly for? any time and he's all. still got the tattoo to show it yeah, as well yeah and he's yeah. got the Mogwai tattoo but he was he's a force of nature yes, of a, really as is, a person yes in fact, did he have your job afterwards in the 13th note? I think note? he took over, the... like when the 13th note moved. A few years later. Yeah, like, yeah. like so the 13th note moved to from Glassford Street down to King Street and uh-huh. then he took it over for, yeah. uh, after that. Yeah. And then Simon Henderson, I think, did it for Simon a while. Simon did it, well. right, yeah. So, uh, so Bren's a brilliant guy. He was, a, he was a bit off the rails. I mentioned this in the book. But he was immensely helpful because he'd made an album. He was yes, like, right. yeah, you write down, I mean, just the simple stuff that we've now done dozens of times yeah, where yeah. you have the board with like the names of the songs and drums, bass, and guitar. you work through it. You work through it until it's all yeah, done. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like playing Wordle or something. You're just like, you right, just right, need to yes, get all, yeah, the, yeah, all yeah, the, the, the... This technique. I, I think that's something else as well. Like, like I, I think a lot of people who haven't, being musicians or experienced what we do, they they don't understand how much 
discipline you actually need yeah. to make a record. Or, yeah, or, or maybe not necessarily, but like method to, to actually get through it and yeah, bring yeah. it together. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, also journalists as well. I, I think a lot of journalists think that it's just some kind of like magical concept that yeah. jumps immediately into your head yeah. and it's all ready and like you're just going to go into the studio and make it and it's just some kind of glorious poetical explosion. Yeah. But there's a lot of like kind of like hard yeah. work and being organised. Yes, yeah, yeah, there, there is. And I've disappointed so many journalists by answering the question of so what idea did you have when you went to make this record and I was like yes. 10 good songs ah yes you know, aye, aye, 10, aye. 11, 12 good songs like something that people will listen to and not turn off also <laughs> a, 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 another thing that, that um, you just mentioned as well when you were talking about your book and how like the concept for it at the beginning changed and, uh-huh. and, and the idea that you started off with isn't what you ended up making in the yeah. end and I don't know about for you but so often with when both writing songs and certainly bringing an album together, the idea you might have for it when you start ends up being completely different yeah. from what you make in the end. Mm-hmm. But again, I think this is a common misconception of journalists. They think you sit down with some kind of concept and you stick rigidly to it until you've completed it. Yeah, I can't. I, and, and it's can't not like that, like that at all. It's like, like even, e- even like, I'm, and I know you're a huge Bowie fan as well. Even Absolutely, even like yeah, David yeah. Bowie, when I've read about the the making of something like Low, which seems to me to be completely conceptual. I mean, yes. that was just like yeah, yeah. we've got these great musicians, we've yes. got some ideas, and like right. some of the lyrics are you you can kind of tell like. Oh, there's something on the carpet. I threw something awful on it. Yes. He's literally just <laughs> yes. talking about what's happened. What's that? Yeah, always crashing in the same car. Like, yeah. like it's just literally what happened a couple of nights ago or something like that. And also a bit of fannying about as well. You know, mm-hmm. like like Warsaw. Like it's just him playing with a Selena and stuff, yeah. isn't it? Just seeing what happens yeah. and like. Well, she sounded that good when I fannied about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did have a brain, you know, kicking yeah, yeah, about yeah. as well. Yeah. That, that, that. <laughs> Do you find that you like external influences coming into the band, like external characters coming into the mm-hmm. band as well? Like, like Eno was for Bowie. Mm-hmm. Do you, are there characters who've been like that for you over the years? Yeah, they definitely have. I mean, I know Luke Sutherland. I, I, yes. I don't know if I'm, I talk about Luke enough in the book, to be honest, because Luke was, looks a bit older than us. Not a uh-huh. lot, but it seems a lot when you're very young. Yes. And he'd been in, he had been in bands that had made albums yeah. and been on... yeah more established record labels and and yes. that kind of thing and and also if it wasn't for Luke I don't I might not have even thought I could write a book because Luke's someone I know from our world who's, who's went written, and written yes yeah very re- well as well real yeah, books yes yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah so I mean, Luke is one of those kind of like um uh, Renaissance kind of guys who can yeah. who can do everything like like he, yeah. uh, just, polymath yes is that the word? yes yeah. aye, yeah, aye, he's, yeah. He, he's he's a special guy and yeah having these these people in your orbit you get huge things from them you know I mean you just meet these people that are like really talented and funny and great to be around and yeah he definitely changes things it's it's true isn't it and, and also seeing people do things that are great and realizing that they're just ordinary people as well yeah i i find that yeah, yeah. very very inspiring yeah, yeah. and I, I love coming across musicians who have done great things that i admire 
Mm-hmm. And then when you chat to them afterwards, you go, oh, you've got no pretensions about yeah. you. you. You're not pretending to be like of some sort of like different level of humanity. You're just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to name drop on your behalf here, Alex. <laughs> right, okay, but, that's a good lead up, right? Yeah, right. but but Paul, who's played drums uh-huh. in, in in France, Ferdinand, who who I see more than you because he lives two streets away yes, from me. He's I. told me about when you hung about with David Bowie. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> David Bowie was so, from what Paul told me, and I've, I'm sure I'm sure it's completely correct. He was so worried about you thinking. That he was a big deal. He would, uh, he would yeah. just act like a total doofus. Yes. <laughs> Which I just, I just love that. Yeah, I, like, like, like he came in. Like, so <laughs> we didn't know he was going to come. Like we played a, sh- a show at the Roseland in uh, in New York, and we didn't know he, even know he was at the show. It was just after he'd had that heart attack. Remember, he'd been mm-hmm. really ill, so he'd mm-hmm. uh, and so he'd come out. Uh, to the show we didn't know and Glenn was our tour manager at the time Glenn who used to be in the blisters with me and he knocked on the door and said somebody wants to 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 see us uh, to, somebody wants to see you guys do you mind if they come in and it's like oh god it's some fanny from the label or something but like, like, <laughs> and, and the, the door <laughs> the door opened and and he walked in uh Wearing a full gold Adidas tracksuit, <laughs> matching cap, mustache, and John Lennon glasses, like like obviously kind of in disguise, but but just like no, you're David Bowie, like like, like no questioning. And uh, he came in and like obviously like wanted to break the ice uh-huh. and, and wanted to kind of like, like like make us all feel at ease. And um, so I said, all right, guys, like uh, I've got an impersonation for you. <laughs> Who's this? And he kind of like said something. In a sort of generic American accent, so like, "Hey guys, how's it going? Like, how's it playing in a band?" And we were just like, "Like, it was really awkward." We, we were just kind of like, "What the hell's that?" Like, I, I, I don't, kind of looking at you like, "I don't know who that is." Do you know who that is? Like, who's he doing in person? And we were just kind of like, really kind of meekly, kind of went, "We don't know who that is." And he went, "It's Courtney Tyler Tyler," and we we're like. We don't know who that is. <laughs> he was the like, guy from the Dandy Warhols. The guy from the Dandy Warhols. <laughs> and we're like, that's amazing. And like, then it, it was kind of easier after that. And yeah, that, that's a kind of like I love that. Pr- prime example of somebody um, <laughs> uh, breaking the ice in an amazing way. Talking about bumping into people and, and meeting people in the context of the band and stuff, there's one funny moment that you don't go into as much detail with in, in the book. You talk about when we meet, meet up with each other at the Hurricane Festival... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In uh, in Germany, so Hurricane, it's like a, it's a big festival. It's a bit like Reading and yeah, Leeds yeah. or something like that. But in in Germany, we hadn't seen each other for quite a while, yeah, yeah. and I think that was the first time we'd seen each other in that kind of context with like loads of other bands kicking yeah, yeah. about and stuff. I remember it was at the backstage catering. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you know where I'm going with this? No. Right, okay. <laughs> so it's backstage catering and uh, the way they had it, there was kind of like benches, like picnic tables sort yeah. of things. And I'd been sitting down, I was sitting down next to this other guy, a guitarist from another band. And uh, you came along and I was like, kind of like, you know that sort of thing you do where you kind of like, so sees, oh no wait, Stuart, how you doing? Like, so how, how you doing? And then you immediately kind of go, oh, do you know 
so-and-so like who I'm sitting next to having a conversation you, you guys must know each other so I went around and went like oh Stuart you must know Graham Coxon right <laughs> <laughs> and then and then and, and Graham you must know Stuart right and then as I said it I just realised like like oh no I kind of do know him though yeah right okay like um, but uh, yeah that yeah, I do yeah. remember yeah. I, I think I suddenly got like oh I think I've got to go and sound check now yeah, yeah, yeah. actually actually would see Graham around all the time, and he didn't seem to really care that much no, about the t-shirt. I, I, I'm sure he understood. He probably does. Should, should we explain, like, like to the listeners, like, like why it's unusual for you to have met Graham Cox and oh, yeah, yeah, in the in the late nineties when we played tea in the park, we decided to make a t-shirt saying that Blur were S H I T E. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it was one of these things that, at the time, I didn't think it would be that big a deal, and obviously right. it was a massive deal, and people thought yeah. it was... It was it, just you having a laugh, really, we right? We were yeah. having a laugh, and we have probably quite a peculiar sense of humour, but I, I think a lot of people thought I was a psycho. Right. <laughs> and, and also, I mentioned it, that it wasn't even my idea, it was Valerie, oh, yes, yes, your friend who was doing the t-shirts, yeah. yes, aye. And yeah, it, it kind of was a big, it was a big deal, and... Yeah, I mean, I'm still not a big fan, but yeah, it's yeah. not the kind of thing I would do now. Right, well, we you, did a Brexit one, which was the similar. Oh right, of, okay. So yeah, you you you've still got that kind of like rebellious. Yeah, but it's it's, it's now yeah. it's now um, more channeled towards um, yeah Britain leaving the European Union than oh, a random well, there's, there's a random another, English pop group. Another disaster. <laughs> so when you talk about it in the group, you, you kind of like was you, well, I can't repeat it exactly, but uh, you say like. You're quite kind of um, self-effacing about it. You say like, "It was who who cares what Mogwai yeah. thinks about Blur anyway?" Yeah, is, yeah. is what you say. Like, and, yeah, yeah. but then again, it's partly the press as well. Like the press, the British music press. I don't know about now, but certainly then, Back then loved a good good punch Rami. up between like yeah, yeah. I like between yeah. bands. And if it was a literal punch up, might even better, you know. Like, but like like a, a long running. Kind of like good gossipy yeah. bitchiness, and I, and I had a bit, I had a bit of a journey with this because I mean we kept doing it for quite a long time. We'd be really bratty, even probably into like my mid twenties, like definitely right. too old to really to be doing it. Yeah. I remember one time I was at Fuji Rock, uh-huh. and I was with Fran from Travis. Oh yes, uh huh. It's a lovely guy. Yeah, really, you know? really very, yeah, very, very lovely. Guy. Yes, yeah. and I met Nikki Wire from the Manics, oh, yeah, uh-huh. and it was it was the same. Oh, it right. was the same as. You and me and Graham, so I was just like, and you've met Nikki. Nikki's lovely yes, too. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Painfully nice. Yeah, yeah, One of yeah. the nicest people I've met in music, and I met Nikki, and I was like, oh, Nikki, you must know Fran. Oh, no. and I could just see like Nikki Wire, like really, really uncomfortable. Right, right. And then right. when Fran pottered off to do something else, he was like, oh, I've said some terrible things about oh, Travis. No. And I was yeah. like, and he was like, it really bothers me in case I meet them. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Life's too short. Yeah, yeah, Life's yeah, too yeah. short. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you mean? Like there's loads of bands or singers and stuff. It's just not for me now. I'm just no. like, oh, well, it's for someone. But it's, 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 <laughs> you know? it, it's funny because like, like there's, there's the kind of things that you say amongst your pals, like for a laugh and stuff. And sometimes yeah. that does occasionally come out. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember actually Robert name drop Claxon going on here Robert Smith told me that his wife told him when he was over 40 right. stop slagging people off <laughs> like stop slagging people off like it's it's especially when it's people 
people who are younger. Yes. Like well, people so who bad. are young enough to be your kids then. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, like, that, that's kind of just bullying, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, not, it's not cool. And like, yeah, I, yeah. I, feel, I feel genuinely grateful that people are still interested in the music I make. Yes. yes so I, yeah. I don't want to be acting like no, I'm better about anything because I'm, I'm the exact opposite. I'm really grateful. But do you know, I think that's one of the good things about aging generally or growing older. Like you lose those kind of anxieties that you have in your yeah. teens and your 20s where you feel that you're constantly fighting to prove who you are yeah. in the world. Yeah. I'm not just talking about as a musician, but as a, as a human being. Yeah. And gradually that stuff slips away as you, you realise what you are and who mm-hmm. you are and you become comfortable with it. Yeah. And, and you you feel you don't have to fight the world anymore. You and know? I, and, I, and, I, and there's context to it as well. Like when we started and when you started, no one cared about music from this city. No yes. one even yeah, that, came up. True. And yeah. also, not only did people not care about music from Glasgow or Scotland at all, but the music that was popular, like Britpop in particular, uh-huh. was, was something that we were excluded from. Yeah, Because it was, yes. it was London, it was kind of money, it was... Yeah. It was drugs very- that didn't cost five pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was, it was, it, it was, it was a different world. So yeah. it kind of, it kind of felt like we did feel we needed to like yes. yeah, yeah. fight for people to 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 pay any attention to it. It definitely felt like, like Glasgow at that time in the in the mid to late nineties. It felt, or maybe right through the nineties, it felt like a parallel universe. Yeah. Uh, with with no portals between the two of them, there, yeah. there, there, there was no way of connecting. And but it's funny, like the the one porthole between the two universes of, of London and Glasgow that in a pre-internet age had no connection whatsoever was John Peel. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the first time, like, and and it it was literally like a black hole appearing into your your universe that allowed you to travel somewhere else. I remember, and. It was like kind of almost inconceivable because he came up to the 13th. I remember yep. the first time he came up, he came up to the 13th note to check out Urusai, Urusai Yatsura. Yeah. And uh, it was just mind-blowing that somebody of that... But he had a big impact on you and your, your life. He did. He had a huge impact on our life and I think he had a huge impact on our whole scene. Yes, absolutely. Because he did believe yeah. in it. And yes, I think there, yeah, there was yeah. bands he really championed like Urusai and Biss and Delgado's. He was a huge yes, Delgado's yes, fan. Yes. And I think our bands kind of got carried along in the slipstream a little bit. And um, something else that I don't know if I, I I don't know if I make this point particularly in the book, but it, it's something that I think is really important is that those sessions, uh-huh. they almost acted like uh, an arts council grant yes. or something as well, because you got five or six hundred quid, was yes. it? Which which was enough to like kind of fund making the next recording, making the next recording, paying de- your rent, de- <laughs> rent, going yeah. going to London to play gigs yes. to play to more people and everything and yes. I think that's been lost lost a little bit I know I know a lot of these things do sessions but there doesn't seem to be as much money going around for them there's which... not as much money going around another thing and we've talked about this before is there was kind of like 
a form of arts funding for us at that time, which was the dole. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. which we're kind of doesn't... On. We, we, we were all on the dole at that time. Yeah. You know, like, and that's how... We were kind of like subsisting on... on uh, crisps and free star primer from the 13th note but like that but that did allow Coconuts. us to ex- uh, yeah but it did, it did allow us to exist and, yeah. and to give us the space to develop mm-hmm. what it was that we were trying to make yeah and i and and i think that there has been a kind of upper classification yes. of music since that stopped being the case and it's and it's not because that music's necessarily better, but simply because they have the funds, funds. They to, have to, give, to give themselves the space. And I'm not going to say that because you're upper class, you can, you'll, you'll make bad music, but it's bad because it isn't giving people the opportunity yeah. to, who would have done otherwise, you know? Yeah. Like, there's, there's definitely people... There's not the space to develop it. Yeah, people who've made incredible music from our generation that were they born 20 years later would would have given up would have given up they'd have yeah. had to go and get a job or or or, or, or definitely mm. not been able to dedicate as much time to their craft to get to the place where they made those amazing yeah. records yes yeah yeah and it's funny I, I i think back to that as well and it's it's not just the glasgow scene but i'd say all across the uk the bands of that generation all of them came from that, and if you think of like like the bands that were huge successes as well, like mm-hmm. like like o- Oasis as well. Mm-hmm. If you think of the amount of money that was spent supporting musicians on the dole by the government at that time, mm-hmm. and then you think of the returns in terms of trade mm-hmm. and what those bands brought into the country, those returns would like far outweigh what was spent mm-hmm. on the minimal amount of money, like thirty five quid a week or whatever it was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's funny, like, um, I've been spending a lot of time in France recently mm-hmm. and they have a, a much more formalised system there. Like, once you prove to the government that you are a musician, like, that you're making work mm-hmm. and that, that you are playing shows and stuff, they do give you financial support. Right. And I, I can't remember the name of it, but there is a scheme mm-hmm. and it's just so much more civilised. And it's just, and I think what it is is, an essential difference in respect for the arts in yeah. general. And I think yeah. that's something we're missing massively in this, the United Kingdom, I, I'd say. I like, think it's taken for granted. Yes. I, th- I think it's taken for granted. And like you said, the kind of, the the cultural capital that Britain has because of yes the constant stream of brilliant things that have been made. And, and I don't, yeah, the... They should take a step back and realize how yes. a lot of it, a lot of it, managed to to get made in the first place. Now you, you've made a, a very good point there as well by saying like cultural capital because I when I was talking about I was talking about like literal capital like yeah. the, the money that those bands mm. generate as well. But but what you can't measure with money is the cultural capital, mm. the richness of the country that comes mm. from the art which is created within mm. it. And uh, to take that serious point to another direction related, there is a funny bit in the book where you talk about going to sign on and oh, yeah. dro- dropping your first royalty check. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Oh. I can't even manage to, to, <laughs> to commit the most low-level dole fraud of all time. Like the first, yeah, the, it was like 100 or 200 quid I got for right. s- selling our first seven-inch single. Also, the fact I hadn't even taken it to the bank just shows how useless I am. And that you would drop it as I well. I dropped it in the door in the door office, and um, 
Yeah, I, I, I still remember it being the 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 guy across the desk saying, "Have you lost something, Mister Braithwaite?" And I was like, "Well, the answer should be yes. I've now lost my housing benefit. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to move back in with my mom and dad." <laughs> so, yeah. it, it's, you do uh, talk about your mum and dad, particularly your dad, a lot yeah. in the book, and um, I found it very moving how you talk about your dad. I mean, your 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 parents were both extremely supportive of you yeah. in um, not just your artistic ambitions, but um, being uh, very tolerant of your wayward behaviour. Is, is that fair to, to say? Honest, well. Or just did they just not know? They didn't really know. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they're just pretty laid back people, right? Yes, you know, and like, um, I think with me and my sister, they were always just like, "Oh, as long as you're happy, and yes, that's fine." Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to get a kind of like, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, not posthumous because that makes it sounds if I'm dead, but. I've, after the fact, row from my mum when she oh, reads right. the book. Yeah. Oh, she's not read it yet? She's not read it yet. Oh, yeah. But that's fine. Yeah, that's good. She, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think just... it'll probably be eclipsed by the fact she can't believe that I managed to write a book. Oh, that's nice. That's <laughs> it. But talking about your father, like, like he, he was a such a huge figure in your life yeah. and, and, and not... Not a conventional dad, really. Like, 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 not a conventional character generally. Like, like I mean, maybe you can tell us about what he did like like he built telescopes yeah he was scotland's only telescope maker and um yeah he'd he'd, le- he'd led a really interesting life he'd like done it all and i found out a lot about this after he died right, as well yes. like he'd done he'd, he'd ran to be an mp he'd like driven that's a incredible. taxi that's all, like yeah. things that had never been brought up w- one of the major things that he he pulled off in his lifetime was the the Sight Hill Stones, yeah. which I, I wasn't aware of until you started talking about it publicly. Yeah. Could, could you tell us what that was? And again, I wasn't that aware. It was just something that was kind of vaguely mentioned. Right. The, the stones, he'd be like, I'm doing a thing with the stones. And I'm just like... <laughs> so you what know, were the stones? In the late 70s, there was a competition with all the Glasgow school kids for something to do with this park in Sight Hill. Sight Hill is a... a pretty neglected bit of the city it's quite a poor part of the city and and i guess they were wanting to put some money into make doing it up a bit at this point and um one of the kids idea was to build standing stones and obviously the council they're, they're probably not a councillor who's an expert in standing stones so they got this guy duncan lunan who's still around uh, and my dad both astronomers to project manage building the first astronomically aligned neolithic style standing right. stones so they were astro- astronomically aligned oh, yeah, the same yeah, yeah. way that the original standing yeah, stones were that's incredible for over three thousand years in scotland so they went and got the rocks from some quarry in Kilsyth, and all the kids got a day off sc- i was too young to remember this because yeah. w- i would have been a tiny toddler yeah. all the kids got like a day off school and they got like army helicopters to move them in. And That's incredible. Yeah. It also it it was a very socialist project because it was I, I think they used a lot of unemployed people to help build it, and it was to help out a poor part of the city. So Thatcher tried to stop it. Oh, of course. So yeah, yeah. my dad was very very anti Thatcher, like oh. a lot of Scottish like, people like, are. Ninety eight percent of Scotland. Yeah. So so there was the fact there was this. Standing Stones also kind of like a bit of a two fingers up at Thatcher. Everything everything about it was really cool. But I didn't know that much about it until he died. My dad died about 10, 11 years ago. 
And then very soon after he died, it they're doing up site hill again. But the council were just going to chuck them out because they they ended up in a very kind of overgrown part of this park in site hill, and people still were aware of them, but they weren't. There wasn't a sign for them. Right, like I had yes. to like wander about to, to even find them, and uh, yeah, there was a bit of a campaign to keep them. Obviously, the astronomers were were involved. I got involved and got like a lot of the musicians in Scotland. Uh, a lot of them knew about them. David Keenan, oh, yes. like he goes on all these mad walks with his wife Heather, and he knew about them, and like played a gig in Easter House, another another uh, pretty deprived part of yeah. Glasgow. Where there was a there's a great um, uh, art centre called Platform, and. Uh, did a gig to kind of raise awareness of them. I went on the the news and all that kind of stuff, and it was successful. And yeah, they they kind of they got saved. They've been re. They've actually apparently now in a better bit than they were before. Oh, so have they been moved to a yeah, different yeah. location? Yeah, and they're yeah. still astronomically aligned. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. and they're okay. in, they're in a higher up bit, which right, is good. Okay. But right, they right. were still being used by druids and astronomers. They'd always go there and like that's solstice. incredible, right? Yeah. Okay, so the druids go there for the ceremonies, yeah. and it was actually the druids who were the most successful because apparently like the concept of druids really freaked the councillors out. <laughs> so, don't, don't mess with the druids. They yeah, can, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's seen some like very inaccurate horror film or something like that. <laughs> They're probably just like concerned like, about what? their chances of re-election. You're like, like, like Pro- if they put a, yeah. some kind of spell on me, I'm not going to get re-elected. <laughs> it's, but, I mean, I'm just, just when you were talking about the actual getting the stones on location using army helicopters yeah. and that sort of just the logistics and the organisation of yeah. that kind of blows my mind a yeah. little bit. That's yeah, there's good, there's great photos of the of the the Chinook helicopters carrying the stones. That's incredible. I mean that that's quite a lot of self belief and kind of like go getting attitude. Yeah. That, that's really, do you think that inspired you? Because like you. The kind of scene that we come from is a very DIY scene. Yeah. Right? Like it's like like you get up and you do it yourself. Yeah. Do you think your father had like a was a big inspiration for you to be able to do but having seen him yes. do things like yes. that? Yes. And I, I and I'd never thought that at the time. I just thought oh, he's my dad. He's, you just he's absorb it, right? You just absorb it. You're just around and but now I think about it, if he wanted to do something You just get up and do it. Or at least try. <laughs> <laughs> but that's part of the fun of it as well. Yeah. You know, like it, it's like giving something a go and not being afraid yeah. of failing even, as well. Even, even with the book, I was like, well, yes. Well, the worst thing that's going to happen is I write a crap book and nobody sees it. And nobody sees it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I, guess, I guess a few bad reviews and <laughs> for some people who don't like me share it. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that guy from Mumbai's <laughs> writing a rotten book. Actually, Graham's writing a book which is out the week before mine. Which Graham? Graham Coxon. Graham Co- has he? Yeah, oh no way! I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, also, um, Mickey from Lush. I, I think a lot right, of people okay. wrote books in the lockdown. Right. Yes. Yes. A lot yeah, of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time for reflection. Yeah. So was that your main occupation during lockdown? Was writing the books? Uh, well, not re- actually writing the Mogwai album was the main oh, one. Right. Okay. Yes, yeah. Right. And um, I didn't. Lockdown had kind of stopped after. Uh, uh, by the time I really got into writing the book. Right. Yeah. But I actually remember the. I did the chapter that I spoke to you about about the first Mogwai gig and when yeah. I really was like, right, I need to start this because someone's expecting it at the end yeah. of the year was actually the day of the the January 6th insurrection. Oh, right. So okay, I, I okay, completely nice. wasted the day by just just watching CNN with yes. my jaw on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Astonishing, so, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
I wanted to talk about that because you spoke to me early on at the beginning of the book uh, to try and bring together memories of the first Mogwai gig in the th- uh-huh. in the thirteenth note sort of thing like, and sometimes it's really difficult going back. Yeah. This is what we were talking yeah. about earlier and trying to bring back memories from that. When was that? Twenty five years ago, something like that. Maybe even more. Yeah, it's insane, and it's it's strange. Like like when I actually read it back in the book, I realized that I'd been recalling it completely wrong. Like oh, really? I was, well, no, I was, I was mixing up different gigs at the yeah, same yeah, time. Yeah. Like when you were first asking me about it, I was saying like, oh yeah, it was downstairs, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you got, no, no, it was upstairs. And I was like, oh right, yeah. And then when I was reading back the book, it's like, it all became clear. I was mixing up that because you did your first gigs upstairs and you were kind of going through that process of what you're talking about there, which is like, giving it a go, yeah, yeah. seeing what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. And the first Mogwai gig, it was kind of like, to me, it felt like a fun 13th note band kind of gig. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was just kind of like, oh, here's, here's my pals, like, like giving something a go, getting it together. And like, yeah. And it was kind of like, and Trout are on as well, and it's good. But I remember you guys, you kind of went away mm-hmm. and didn't play any gigs for quite a few weeks. Yeah. And then you came back again. And that's the moment when my jaw hit the ground because you'd obviously like kind of taken it very seriously. Yeah. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's that's true. Like even 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 though we were young, I suppose I was I, I'd just finished college, and I didn't have a job. And of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> Dominic was at college, but was completely ignoring it. Was never going to do anything, and we. We spent all of our time working on the songs, and yeah, yeah we we were really serious about it. But again, in a very naive way, not in a yes. like, oh, we're going to get a deal in an album, and we're no, gonna, no, 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 nothing no. like that. It was just like but serious about making art, basically. Yeah, yeah yes. we wanted to do something. And again, there was something of the time about it too, because because it was the Britpop time, and everything was uh-huh. like a bit of a joke, and everyone winking at each other. And we were like, no, we're yeah, yeah, yeah. we're in we're in Sonic Youth and My Bloody Valentine, and. And all these weird bands were hearing on John Peel and like our pals are in good bands. I mean, that was the other thing as well. There was you felt like the bar was being raised. Like the Yummy yes, Far were yeah, so good. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, Trout yeah. were so good, even yeah. though they were kind of in their own mad yeah, world. Yeah, but yeah. they were great. great it's very band. inspiring to be amongst other people who are striving to do something good. Yeah. You know and even I mean? and and I, I I love thinking about that time too because none of the bands sounded anything like each no, other. No, there wasn't a Glasgow sound or anything like no, that. It, Maybe an attitude, but not not a sound. Yeah, so uh, so so we definitely bought, and we did that, and we we would rehearse so much, yeah. and we would even because re- Martin did have a job. He was working in a Chinese restaurant in East Kilbride, yeah. so like he didn't have as much time, so he could sometimes just come and rehearse for forty five minutes. But he would do it. He would drive out. Yeah. We'd set up in my parents' hall or living room, depending what had the least amount of telescopes <laughs> in it, and just and just play. That's an amazing scene, actually, right yeah. there. It's so vivid. yeah, and I even re- I even remember. I remember what, I'm surprised my parents didn't kill me. I remember one time rehearsing after midnight with with tea towels on the drums. Right. Wow. Just so we didn't wake yes. up my mum, who was probably getting up and, at and seven what, in the morning. She was a GP. Aren't exactly a quiet no. band either. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, it was an absolute racket. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In- in- incredible that your your parents would uh, 
support you in that and, and allow you to. Yeah, yeah. But also, incredible. What I, I love, and I think a lot of people maybe don't realise from the outside, is how you can marry the seriousness about the art of what you want to create yeah. with having a laugh at oh, the yeah. same time. Well, that, that was the other thing for that chapter, because obviously my memory's patchy, and like asked everything about it, and like, and like I don't know if it was Dominic or Martin, he was like, oh, and do you remember like we had a race around Strathclyde Park? And I was like, what? And he was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Dominic and Martin raced their cars the night before our first gig, no which way. is like so idiotic, <laughs> <laughs> so kind of like teenage, and, so stupid yeah, and teenage, yeah. and like, and then the night, and even even I remember as well on the way to the gig, being Dominic like, drank a bottle of wine on the way to the soundcheck, <laughs> even though we've been like. Meticulously rehearsing this gig, we're like, oh, we're just gonna get smashed. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Um, what's next for you now, Stuart? Now that now that you're an author, you're gonna do more writing. Are you gonna make another record or something else? Um, I don't really know. I don't really know. I, the The book kind of finishes about ten years ago, so I could I could write more. There was originally yes. a big thing about the Scottish referendum that that kind of got the chop, so I could expand on that and do a bit more, but. I, I, I was expecting to read about that in the yeah, book. And, yeah, uh, it just kind of, I, I, I think I've just written so much already that... You know, I think there might be events still to come over the next couple of years. And make that make me that more relevant. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's so true. I don't know. Uh, There's a lot of funny stuff about that as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you were there then. The well, the night of the gig. Yeah. yeah maybe absolutely. you can explain what the gig was. Well, we the week before the independence referendum, we played this big gig at, Ush, at the Usher Hall yeah. and... It was one of the best nights, and but most surreal nights I've ever it, had. It, it was it was a bizarre combination of musicians as well. Yeah, I was good too though. It was like, amazing. I'd, I'd, like, never met, I'd never met like Ricky Ross. Yes. Oh so, yeah, it's a lovely guy. L- l- really, really yeah. nice. Eddie Reader, who like lives across the road from me, and I say hello to her because I met her at that gig. She's one of nice. the most surreal moments for me, and I remember turning to you while it was happening. <laughs> can, can, can you guess what it was? The singing along to the proclaimers. <laughs> yes. But I think by this point, we were, well, I was smashed. I'd yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah. It was just surreal. It, it was, it was really bizarre. Kind just of everybody who was on that stage at that time, it was uh, a very, very strange moment. There must be footage of it. But <laughs> a, a, a very optimistic moment yeah, as well. It I, was I, lovely. It, 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 um, you know, whatever happened afterwards, maybe you can write about that in the book. But yeah. I, I, it is a very good memory to have of. Yeah. Uh, the feeling of coming together and uh, uh, how optimistic and how it's good to retain optimism as yeah, well. And um, that's something else I, I, I get generally from talking to you over the years, but uh, I find within the book, like how optimistic you are generally as a person, yeah. you're, you're always looking for the good thing and it's like searching towards it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and it can it can bite you in the bum sometimes. It can because I'm all, I always think everything will be all right, and sometimes like, all right, okay, it's not. Yeah. Um, but there yeah. are a few dark moments in the book. Yeah. But you, you, you Generally, them. you hope for things to be the best, yeah. and and if something goes wrong, you try and learn a lesson from yes. it. You know, go yeah. right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Made an absolute arse of that. I'll try and not do it again. <laughs> well, in in the spirit of optimism, I, I I look forward very much to whatever you. Whatever comes your way next, Stuart. Well, it's thank been a, it's been you. A real, you, Alex. A real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank Cheers. you very much. That was Mogwai's Stuart Braithwaite. Thank you for listening to the Alex Capranas podcast and the Alex Capranas show on Absolute Radio. It has been a pleasure and hopefully I'll be back very soon. I hope you've enjoyed listening.
Franz Ferdinand are on tour over the next couple of months. We'll be in the UK in October and November. And, well, if you want to come along, I would love to see you there. Thank you. 